This is Coder Radio, episode 260 for June 8th, 2017. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors, oh, as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and join us every single work week, work week, every week that he works. Why, yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. You know what? Jar Jar can't be with us today. No, he's busy. He's, you know, he's a blogger. Well, he's a blogger, so. Actually, I tied him into a chair in the closet because yeah. I am doing something that he said would give him major PTSD. You know, I've tried doing that so many times. We got we to gotta trade uh, rope notes after the show. Uh, I just played the sounds of children crying and he kind of shut down. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what was it Jar Jar was going to try to stop you from doing this week? I was going to drive to Washington, D.C., sure, stand sure. up and move for a vote of no confidence in the Galactic Senate. Yeah, okay. Or particularly the U.S. Senate. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can quite pull that off. I don't know if maybe – I'm not totally familiar with the semantics of things, but I'm thinking maybe you don't have any authority. And so you would basically – I have the just... authority of bro love. Oh, well, that's, that's a powerful a, thing. Who is a bigger, quite literally bigger bro? Taller at least. Than James. Nobody's bigger. Nobody's bigger or taller than James Comey, and you know nobody is as folksy. Lordy, lordy, lordy. Nobody is as folksy, golly, as Lordy. I hope we're taping this show. I hope so too. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> me too, <laughs> but for totally different reasons. Yeah, I, yeah. That has been so. I guess people could be listening to this show years later. So it, you know, but today. Everybody's talking about the, the former director of the FBI's testimony. It was live streamed. I guess I don't know if that's the right term anymore. I guess broadcast. I don't know when it, it was on all of the major news networks hosted by their main key anchors. It, Twitter was well, it was a real it was a real performance. Twitter was like a performance art today. It was really something. You know, Twitter was oddly quiet in some sectors, though. Really? You know, I was seeing a lot of great tweets, a lot of people passing around mm-hmm. tweets. There was one Twitter artist who was not apparently paying attention oh 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 well like you know i think he was busy today mm. he had a little speech so so when i think jim comey chris i think of t uh th white's wonderful book the once and future king are you familiar with that i am not could you refresh my memory i don't think I. it is uh a version of the legend of king arthur okay all right now let's just put it mildly everybody in that room James Comey is the only honest guy. Yeah. yeah. Or gal. It seems right? like it. Sure seems like it. Golly. Like he straight up admitted to leaking stuff, right? He's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I handed that to my friend. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, why? Because I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, the media went my way, right? <laughs> like, so what, is, what does Mike take away from this? Well, I want to talk about the fucking Republicans and the fucking Democrats. <laughs> right at the top, everybody. Woo! Right. So I'm going to go for a 100% offense rate here. <laughs> Let's start with the Republicans. Hello, everybody. <laughs> you know that old country song, Coward of the County? Should we, should we disclaim that the rest of the show won't be about this, but just this part of the show is about this? I'm not sure I can make that promise okay, right now. Right, okay. <laughs> so 
the level of just pure cowardice is unbelievable, right? You know, Bill Clinton got impeached for a blowjob that he lied about. Really? How about lying about trying to have back channels with the Russian ambassador? I, I just want to like throw it out there. Well, technically, see, the problem was that Bill lied under oath. That was that was technically the issue. Oh, because, you know, when you swear to God, by the way, Bill Clinton and, and, and I think the irony in congressmen like using that you put your hand on a Bible for anything is, is just like amazing. There's some irony there. Yeah. Right. So their whole thing is like we want tax cuts and we will do anything to get them. Right. Like, you know, they are the co-eds that you've seen on the Internet that aren't really co-eds. Right. But, you know, what? I kind of get the Republicans. You want tax cuts. You have your interests and you're, you know, morally bankrupt. Who isn't? I'm from New Jersey. You know, <laughs> fine. The Democrats. To take a win, and I don't just mean Clinton. You guys have won everything. In the, in the modern history of this country, liberals have won everything. You have civil rights, gay rights, uh, relative equality for trans people, and you just won gay marriage. But instead of stopping and letting the kind of middle of the country ca- catch up, you were like, fuck that. Let's double down. And, oh, wait, we now inflamed this entire group of people? Huh. Well, in the coffee shop in Fifth Avenue in Midtown and in San Francisco, I seem perfectly reasonable. Yeah, but you guys are not the majority of the country. <laughs> so, um... Particularly when you count that we vote geographically, not based on, uh, you know... Yeah, see, Democrats, <clears throat> Democrats are, are winning at everything except elections. Basically, no, but they, their major policies they have won, right? I mean, if you if you look yeah, at social policies, policy, yep, yep. there there is no su- there is no conservative victories, right? Now, Democrats don't feel like they're winning because you know they're like the kid who gets one cookie and can't stop, right? Oh, but I I don't have another cookie. I I need the next. Thing. Had you waited like ten years? You would have gotten everything, had your president, and basically, because of demographics, destroyed the Republican Party. But you didn't wait. You couldn't stop. You started bitching about bathrooms. And then, with some help from our friends, dare I say comrades, you got Trump. And because you failed to do things through legislation, much of your stuff is going to be overridden, except for the major things that were done by the Supreme Court. So, good job. And and are you ready, Chris? I blame the Democrats for all of this, not the Republicans. Yeah, yeah, I would probably, I would probably agree. See, I, I, uh, I have, yeah, I have a very more, I have, a, I, have, I have probably a more cynical take on all of this than you do. Um, oh, please but, bring the cynicism. <laughs> I feel like, well, part of it is I feel like I got to keep my powder dry for tonight's unfiltered. So, because I'm still, I'm recording oh, a filter tonight. Keep your powder dry. Yeah, but I'll tell you this: uh, you're right in the sense that um, it, uh, on both sides, they are corporatists. Is what the problem is. I'll just put that's my, this is my summary. They're corporatists, and that's what their interests lie in, not with the demographics of the people or what. The, even even I think even the scenario of the people on the coast are driving the politics. I don't buy that either. It's it's they are all they are all being driven by special interests. It's it's just the so reality. So you don't even think that the Democrats legitimately believe that like 
because I actually think they're fairly sincere, right? That they believe mm-hmm. in gay marriage, they no. believe in transgender rights, no. and they want transgender equality. No. You don't think so? You straight up think it's a pure wow. So I, you know, I am actually the less extreme person. I, I am. Here. I am sure there are some of them in the party that feel very strongly about those issues, um, and that's why they're Democrats. Um, and I'm sure there's some Republicans that feel very strongly about their issues, and that's why they're Republicans. Those aren't the people running the party, though, and that's why the party's losing. Yes, yeah, I sort of feel like the Republicans are, are bankrupt morally in terms of the act. We're talking about the politicians here, by the way. So if you are like a rank and file guy who votes Republican or Democrat or gal, it's not you. Um, although maybe Chris thinks it is you. <laughs> but like, well, I, no. I, I don't like the Republicans are so transparent, right? That, that's what makes it hard for me to say the Democrats. And I have voted Republican in almost everything except for this last election. So – you know, it, on one hand, like I always felt the Republicans, because their policies were kind of regressive, were forced to always be reasonable, right? Like you can't just say, I want to go back to 1960, right? But the Democrats are like, we're going to go to year 3000 and change the world. Part of this makes – all of this makes my head spin. Um, it all feels uh, – ugh. You know, it is uh, – it's, it's really getting – it's getting to the point now where I bet people just listening to the show are getting completely triggered. I bet there's some people listening going, this is the worst episode of Coda Radio ever because it's so – it's so it, hypercharged. Like it's going to get so much worse. <laughs> I know. I know actually. I think it really will because you know the 2018 elections are really what this is all sort of leading up to. Well, and for a president not to win a second term like doesn't happen, right? So it's very rare. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I think you're right. This is only going to get worse, and the only way to make it better is if we if we all just kind of if we all just kind of listen a bit more and don't and don't quite freak out as much. Now, I'm not saying you are doing this. I'm just saying in general, like there's like the only the only solution to this problem is to 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 to, to de-weaponize political speech is to right just right. keep and, a level head. And we can end on this, right? I mean, I. I my general criticism of the Democrats and how they have handled this entire thing is instead of saying we believe in these things and eventually we think we should get to this place, they said we believe in these things. They have to have now and anybody who disagrees with us is evil, racist, misogynistic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So once you tell me or I'm not not even saying that I feel this way, but, you know, the middle of the country, right? That's what we're talking about here and Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, that they're evil. Guess what they do? They automatically vote against you. Because no one wants to be dressed down like they're five years old, yeah. except for Jim Comey, who apparently loves it because he keeps showing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a long, hard uh, session. Uh, this this um, this thing, you know, I keep telling myself we're only we're not even 200 days after the election. So it's all still very new. You know, it, it feels it feels so long. I know. I know, but I so there's still so much um, hurt over it for on like the different sides, and there's so many bad feelings still. Like, and once we get a couple years into this thing, some of that might simmer down. Some of that particular like sting from the loss, and you know the media well, is still I mean, in a reactionary well, mode too. Uh, you know, it's funny though. All and this, I promise, this will be the last two minutes here. If you listen to like really liberal outlets like Box Media, for instance. Um, or the new one, Crooked Media, you can tell all at once they all kind of decided to pivot to, we're not going to complain about the election rush anymore. Let's talk about issues. And it's weird that it all like happened on the same week. 
You, when you so didn't like, say Fox, by the way, you said Vox. V, v yeah, yeah, V is in Victor. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, if you listen, I, I did watch some Fox last night. It was interesting. My friend, let me tell you something. There is no doubt in my mind, as somebody who's been watching the news every single day, every station, every major outlet and publication for over three years on a daily basis, even holidays, I can tell you they – Something something switches at some point, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying it's like some some you know master conspiracy, but something switches in the production offices and the in the writing rooms of these places, and on a dime, all of them: CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, the Fox. They will all pivot on a story. They will immediately, and sometimes it takes several hours where you like you'll see like a ripple effect where one network makes a change and another network, or like the New York Times makes a correction, and then there's a massive ripple effect. It is it is a fascinating thing to watch because I don't think it's I don't think it's um, like some master conspiracy. I think it's more like a herd mentality. I think it's like mm. some sort of herd mentality thing. So it's almost like lemmings. Uh, they kind of just follow each other, follow the leader. Yeah, and I think part of it's driven by CYA. Like they, they, they're like, well, shit, if this right. story just became toxic, we don't want to be the one that, that, that goes under the bus to cover right, the story. Right, I mean, especially, you know, like some of the more liberal outlets, right? They don't want to be right. seen as hammering the Russian thing too hard. Yeah, you know, especially it's if, like starts, follow, if it starts yeah. to lose steam and all of a sudden, you know, you know, if you're Rachel Meadow and you've been building your, your largest rate, ratings for your network yeah. ever on this story. Yeah, I mean, if you're Rachel Maddow, I would vet your sources first. But, you know, it's kind of like following whatever a major tech company wants to show you that, like, they call a pod and copy somebody else and sell it to you. Yeah, it really is. Should we get into some of that here in a bit? Let's do it. You you like politics? I bet you like Apple. So before we go there, I thought maybe just for sakes of completion, because we've been following the rise of Marissa Mayer, and now we're following the fall on this show. It's been an arc that we just have t- checked in with from time to time. So before we get totally into the weeds, yes. I thought this would be good to check in. So it's official as of today. Yahoo shareholders have approved the company sale to Verizon for a reduced $4.48 billion. It's expected to close next Tuesday. Yahoo and AOL will merge into a combined entity called OAuth. God damn, dude, that's awful. And uh, AOL has indicated it's planning more than 2,000 layoffs after the close. So can I fail like this? Oh, man. Wow. I, I'm going to call this a win. Yeah. Right? They, they, only, bill? they only knocked the price off by $350 million, So that's not too bad for Marissa, really. Not too bad. She'll be stepping down as a CEO, uh, and uh, she's going to own about 186 million shares worth of stock when she leaves. Which is basically worthless, but that's okay. (sighs) Interesting, huh? Remember remember when she left, she was a celebrity of Google. She was really a celebrity at Google when she left. She was a name. And uh, the Yahoo machine just sort of ate her up and... uh, I don't know. I think it was. I, I, for some, I think one of the reasons we followed it is we always knew it was. It was one of those classical well, it was CEO super hyped, right? Su- super hype CEO. It was like the. It was like the. It was like the pre. It was the predator. It was the. What's the right word? It was like the alpha hype that eventually became like the Satya Nadella hype when he became CEO. Like they they refined it with Marissa Mayer, and so it was interesting to watch it on the show to watch the tech industry come together to put this woman up uh, uh, just as this. Un- untouchable, unfallible uh, example of Silicon uh, uh, Valley changing, and it just they built her up so high that she never had she had never had anywhere to go but down. Yeah, I mean, you kind of context, right? You have to remember when she sort of rose, quote unquote, was right in the middle of I would 
or I would say at the height of kind of the, you know, all the talk about sexism and gender and all that stuff. Um, and certain tech blogs really made an effort to promote her. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks at Karis. She was on the covers of magazines and all kinds well, of stuff. Well, she was on Vogue, which Yeah, that's weird. what it was, yeah. But, I mean, I actually was a fan, right, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, like, you new CEO, bad company, means bad company, right? Like, what could she have done other than, like, lay off half the company and put them in a different business? Yeah, market forces are, were at play with that one, too. Right. I mean, momentum is a thing, right? You can't you can't really turn a big ship. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you don't have good AI and good back-end service – oh, I'm thinking about the wrong company. Oh, God damn it. Hey, one more just kind of newsworthy item before we get into all of the nitty details uh, of today's episode. Um, Android O beta, public beta, is out with uh, stable APIs. So these are the final APIs, <laughs> and uh, that's out for download. As uh, we go on the air, that just came out. So I just thought I'd pass that along. Also, shout out to uh, JB Hawk of Truth, who apparently uh, got to uh, hang out with uh, you in the flesh. Yes, we had some beer. It was great. Damn it, dude. I didn't know he was in your area. Was he visiting? He or is, is he actually... not. He was ah. visiting, yeah. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see how it is. Goes and visits Mike. Doesn't visit me. It's the West Coast bias right there. Play. Also, uh, kind of interesting, Yes, uh, the, June 5th, the day of WWDC, anniversary of the iPod Hi-Fi introduction for $349. 11 years I, ago. I totally forgot about that. The, wow. 11 years ago, on the day of WWDC, it was the iPod Hi-Fi introduction for $349. Just thought I'd point that out just really quick before we before we get into it. So we do have a bunch of WWDC DC stuff to cover, and we're going to try to make sure we take a specific developer angle on this. It is a developer's conference. And uh, so I decided to do something that you don't have to now, but you can if you'd like. I watched the damn State of the Union, like the almost two-hour – how long is this thing? It's almost like, like an hour and 40 minutes or something. I watched I watched that State of the Union, and I walked away with a few interesting tidbits. So I think there is stuff, even if you're not a iOS developer or a Mac user, it's interesting to see what one of the largest technology platforms for developers is doing. And they're doing some things that is a little bit of catch-up, and they're doing some new stuff. I want to talk about all of that. I also want to talk about Scale Your Code. Go to scaleyourcode.com and sign up to get access to interviews, inside looks, and tutorials. It's a it's a low flow mailing list too, and that's really nice. You put your email address in there, and you get access to these interviews. It's a good good resource. If you are a small business, or if you're working in a group or a team, or you're building infrastructure, troubleshooting things like that. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit down the road about AR and VR today. <clears throat> Mr. Dominic is wearing his AR headset right now. He always is constantly. He's constantly augmenting his reality, uh, and you can learn more about JavaScript and its role in artificial intelligence. AR and VR with Eric Elliott, the author of Programming JavaScript Applications for O'Reilly. He's contributed to things like Adobe's applications. Uh, he also is a big Zumba fan. Uh, he writes for the Wall Street Journal and the BBC. He spends most of his time in the San Francisco area uh, trying to keep Michael Dominic out of that area. And uh, he did a great interview with Scale Your Code from both the like hiring aspect of the job to actually working in with the technology and JavaScript and AR and all that. Go to scaleyourcode.com to sign up to get access to just that interview and so many more great interviews like Jeff Atwood from Stack Exchange and Discourse and Jeremy from Netflix and Reddit and David from Basecamp. There's so many other great interviews. Go to scaleyourcode.com, sign up, 
and get access. And thanks to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. <clears throat> Mr. Dominic, let's start with sort of the uh, thing we probably have the least to say and sort of work our way in. So I thought this was fascinating. Apple officially announced an external graphics development kit that will be officially supported in Mac OS High Sierra, which is their new um, OS name. It connects over Thunderbolt 3 with a USB-C connector. They're, they're reselling a third-party uh, kit right now, a Sonnet external GPU chassis with an AMD Radeon RX 58, or I'm sorry, 580 with a 5 gigs of video RAM. And uh, they're including the cable, and they're also including a $100 promo towards the purchase of a Vive headset. 600 bucks. You have to be an Apple developer to be eligible to grab it. But this is, I think, the first res- big public response to responding to a lot of the criticisms we've had about the horsepower of the MacBook Pro and them sort of acknowledging that high-end graphics does have a role in the Mac. They went really all in with VR in general in this keynote for the Mac. Uh, Valve announced support for Metal. So mm. did uh, the Unreal 4 engine. And so did the uh, Unity engine. What do you think of this? Do you have anything to say? Should we move on? So I, I, I've been trying to look into this. Uh, one of the things, does this actually run as a GPU? Yes. Is it run over PCI? It does. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. And on the MacBook Pro 15, you have four PCI lanes, uh, which is probably more than sufficient to uh, run this thing and maybe like some external monitors. But will applications that haven't been specifically developed to use this? Yes. So Absolutely. If you have an, if, if you have an if application like, that uses Metal, OpenCL, or OpenGL, Mac OS will route it to this video card. So if you have like WoW on your computer on your Mac and you run this, you're in good shape. Yep. So you're so if you just want a game, you could use this to game. Uh, of course, they're also look. The reason why it's a Radeon is that this, specifically on Mac OS, there's a lot of Apple's applications like Motion and Final Cut yeah. that have been custom tuned to run well on radeon graphics so but you could put an nvidia gtx 1080 in this too people are already doing that the support's been in mac os now for like a release i think or an, and a half maybe even i don't know exactly i don't follow it that closely but they've you can do this today with external graphics on the 15 inch macbook pro with this exact setup apple is just officially introducing metal support and full os support for it in high sierra I think this is big for people that want to get into um, machine learning. I've had, I've had two conversations recently with people that are replacing their laptops with laptops that have large dedicated GPUs because yeah. their work is moving them into machine learning. And so this seems like a response to that. So there you go. And VR could be interesting. Uh, <clears throat> but I thought let's talk about something that could have more direct ramifications for – not just users of iOS, but for developers that want to create new types of applications. In iOS 11, developers will get full access to a degree to the NFC chip. So instead of just being available for Apple yeah. Pay, the iPhone will now be able to read NFC tags, which is going to open the door for wireless exchange of information between the iPhone and all kinds of devices. Just tag devices, check-in devices, locks, all kinds of things that have sort of been vertically locked to like industry and small use cases and, and high-end Android phones. Once you put it on iOS from the iPhone 7 forward, it's going to become a sort of a generally available technology. And I think it's going to be a huge boost for NFC uses. Like I could tell you right now, one I would use, absolutely would use if somebody created an app that allowed me to set uh, notification preferences based on NFC tags. If I, I would put a tag on the table because they're just they're, – they're really low profile. And I would set my phone down on that tag and I would love it to mute 
at my phone every time I'm in the studio and it's on that tag. And then when I take it off that tag, my phone unmutes. I would love that functionality. So hopefully we'll see lots of different types of apps and use cases for uh, NFC with the iPhone. And, uh, and I would imagine, I would hope, that with, with iOS getting full support for it, it'll increase the uses for Android phones that already have that technology for a while now. Um, okay. So, so far, is there anything that we – we do you want to keep going? We're moving So, fast. I have a little different take on the NFC thing. I don't, okay. I don't know that it's going to matter, right? Wouldn't that have been more popular already? Like I don't, I don't hear about people claiming, oh, geez, if I just had NFC access, I could do this application I want to do. I think it's because Apple hasn't supported it in the iPhone now for, for – never. There's never been support in the iPhone. I think it's stagnated the industry. Hmm. I think it's like what, who's going to – who's going to – who's going to – so here's the problem is lots of Android phones have it. A very small percentage of the Android users know it and you do see like uh, some applications like Foursquare and other apps that will like do check-in support with uh, NFC tags or whatever like Facebook app. I think will do it too. Right, right. Samsung's played around a lot with it and they'll, they'll sell like packs of tags that you can put on stuff. Um, but I think no one's been willing to go all in. Because there's been no iOS market to sell it to. Because if you're going to release an app and try to make some money on it, you're probably going to try to sell it on iOS. And if there's no NFC support, there's just there, – it's a non-starter. I don't know. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would love to see – I would lo- I would have tags all over the place. I'd be tagging everything, man. Tagging everything. Right, but you, you know how to do it, right? I'm thinking like if, you know, from my perspective, could I develop an application that I could throw in the app store because this is, exists – and all the user has to buy is the app, not like set up their house for mm. NFC. Yeah, maybe it's more. Maybe it's going to be more applicable to manufacturers of smart devices that are going to integrate, like with right, like or something then like you, enterprise development for like a oh, hotel. Sure. Oh yeah, right? man. Use your iPhone as your key. Like that all makes a ton of sense. Sure, sure. Or or just just for just for work. I mean, there's so many you could have. You know, yeah. user recognition. Uh, one of the things I'm learning about home automation is that. Um, Presence detection is a really key element to any kind of automation, like knowing when the worker is in a certain room or the home user is in a certain room and being able to automate lighting, cooling, alarm systems, safety systems in the case of manufacturing places. Um, what my understanding from that has been is that presence detection is really the, 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 the silver bullet. Once they nail presence detection, a lot of other things click into place. And so I feel like NFC tagging could help with that which could have larger long-term ramifications. Um, so other, a couple other things. So I, I watched, like I said, I watched the State of the Union. So Apple does, Apple has the big keynote right at the beginning. It's hosted by Tim Cook and your Craigs and all your different Apple celebrity, celebs come up on stage and they introduce the parts that they're responsible for. And um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a fast-paced WWDC. Like they they did the whole we're gonna we're gonna forgo we're just gonna forgo the company updates and just get right into it with six things and that was that was interesting and they they busted them through essentially in the order of importance uh, which is somewhat telling but um, what the nitty details that really matter to developers those get held until the next day when they have the state of the union address that is made publicly available. Uh, that you can go watch even if you don't make it to WWDC. And that's where you get extra details. It's like they recover the keynote, but it's like if the keynote was just for geeks and not the press. And so you get more information. You get more details. And so I've, I've collected a few bits 
from the State of the Union that most people haven't been covering because it wasn't talked about during the keynote. Uh, one thing that I just want to talk, talk about right away, uh, developers already know this, but just to point it out, iOS 11 is going to be 64-bit only. So your 32-bit apps are officially dead with iOS 11. That's so annoying. Mm-hmm. And High Sierra will be the last Mac OS that supports 32-bit easily. Yeah. We should stop on that iOS 11 being 64-bit yep. only because that's actually going to hurt a lot if I think uh, yeah. kind of dark matter developers. It actually is going to hit me. You know, if you're using like older middleware, like, I don't know, Ionic 1, your app is almost certainly still 32-bit because of Cordova, right? Um, or older versions of Cordova. And that upgrade path is not necessarily super easy. And I, I really don't understand the urgency to, to like, you know, OS nine apps could run for, for years, right? Really, for like a decade in in OS ten. In the State of the Union, they set it up as we're thinning down the OS, but the, it's not that big, right? I mean, I understand that like if you have a thirty two bit, then you have to import all the thirty two bit libraries, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I get the technical argument, mm-hmm. but from a practical you know, they're always bragging like, about how fast these phones are, how fast the CPU and storage is. What's the big deal? <laughs> it's got. What's the big right? Well, you know, come the big, on. What's the big deal? You know, the big well, deal well, is the big deal is is they're stingy with the damn RAM. That's the big deal. They're so damn stingy with the RAM. That's the problem. Possibly, but I don't even think that matters, right? I mean, you got to load all that. You got to load all the sixty-four bit libraries and thirty-two bit libraries up in a sure, middle. but the types of apps that are that are going to be stuck on thirty-two bit right now are like line of business enterprise apps or apps that are abandoned, but. Um, you know, there are plenty of people running old Cordova apps in their business that are 32-bit. Yeah. And so if yeah. someone unwittingly upgrades their device or one employee's device to iOS 11, now your line of business app just doesn't work. Is that is yeah. that is yes. that really like how that you're is... going to be the leading mm-hmm. enterprise company? I bet it will. In, I bet it will hold back adoption of iOS 11. I I actually hope it does for internal deployments or else you're going to have this, um, you know, when iOS 7 came out, there was this kind of deluge in the fall of people who didn't realize a bunch of stuff had changed, right? Like, you know, because I make these calls after every WWDC, hey, you know, you had an app with me. Um, I know you didn't want a maintenance contract because nobody ever wants to buy a maintenance contract. But hey, these things are going to be deprecated, whatever the list is, right? There's a list every year. Usually it's pretty minor. iOS 7, it wasn't minor. And what what do you think happened around the end of September? Oh, hey, Mike. Oh, Mike. Hey, Mike. Oh, gosh, Mike. And, oh, but, but not only that, like the finger pointing, you didn't want us. I'm like, hey, uh, you didn't want to pay for a maintenance contract. And then, hey, I tried to sell you an upgrade. And, you know, you're like, yeah, we'll have to run it up for, uh, you know, for purchasing. And, oh, I don't know. I mean, yep. it really is going to cost that much because, you know, God forbid the vendor make money. Um why? Why is this necessary? I, you know, this unless your thing is like your line of business apps all of a sudden have to be native and written in Swift, because it, it does to me look like this is going to on the iOS side mostly hit folks who are using old Cordova yeah. applications. Well, which you know, remember Ionic is Cordova, right? Like Cordova hmm. is hmm. everywhere. Okay, well, it could be that. I think it's really about moving the platform forward, keeping it light, reducing but, the overhead. If you, if you want to be the enterprise platform then you need to think a little more like Microsoft, right? Like moving forward, you also have to have some sort of compatibility mode. Yeah. 
Yeah, when I say I think it's going to hold back adoption, I'm thinking like not like numbers that are going to seriously matter to Apple, but I bet like iPads in corporate environments that are using 32-bit apps are just going to stay, you know. Right. Also, I think Architect in the chat has a great point. What exactly do you think enterprises are going to do with the 64-bit architecture? <laughs> right. Just, yeah. I mean, there might be one or two who are like doing something weird with like the iPad Pro and CAD, but – but Let's do we, be honest, do we really want to repeat the sins of the past either and repeat Microsoft's mistakes and slow the platform down so that way we can keep corporate America happy? I mean, in some ways, screw those guys. They can rebuild their app and resubmit it. Not no, if it matters. If it matters, though, people won't pay for me. I, I guess they're I, I, probably they're probably provisionally loading it too. They're probably not going to the app right. store. As as a developer, I totally agree with you that the right thing to do is to understand that these applications, these pieces of software, are an ongoing expense and need to be maintained, and all of that happy horse horse doo doo, right? Um, but in the world of reality, you know where the current one we live in particularly <laughs> people don't view these things as ongoing costs. They, they just don't. They think they bought an app, right? Um, and I'm talking about like development contracts and they are deeply, deeply upset at the notion of you're going to pay some vendor, you know, a thousand bucks a month, whatever, whatever the number is, even, even more trivial, 500 a month. Right. Because, well, wait, do I really need that? Like, why Why do you think most of these enterprise apps up till now are basically all Cordova apps in some form or Xamarin apps? And actually, Xamarin is he's better for this. Xamarin. Why are they that? Because that's probably what the internal tool chain is already or it's what the developers Because they have developers on site yeah. who are either, right, web or C-sharp developers. And in the case of Cordova, it's because it's by far, by far, by far the far the cheapest way to do a mobile application. See, I submit to you that this is a market opportunity if you can turn it into a sales pitch or a solution, a package. These are awful sales. I mean, we don't, I don't want to get too much into the sales side of it, but these are like awful sales because what happens is, you know, when, when Parse is going out of business, I had that, what was it, like $2,000 yeah. Parse migration service. Yeah. I sold zero of those. Because people just say, you know what? Tell with it. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Def- I definitely – that's that's what really happens with the apps I use. Like I've got one right now that right. pops up and says, soon this app won't work. It's been a warning you know, for, for forever now that soon this app will no longer work in iOS and makes your makes your phone slow. It, 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 it's really ridiculous because the, these phones have never been more powerful. You know, They are more powerful than all the computers you and I owned in the 90s combined. <laughs> and the, the, the argument that, oh, we'd have to load up 32-bit libraries and it's so much memory <laughs> yeah. is, is, is just like a lie, right? Well, it's, is it, it's totally... is it rough for you, Apple? Is that rough for you? Well, it, but like no. even with the miserly amount of RAM they give you, it's still a lot of RAM, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, we can move on because – Well, and plus if you uh, – if you, you – know, they're already making – they've already made changes to the submission process. So essentially it's, it does work itself out eventually. Here's a couple other things though uh, – um, I gotta say, and we have I have more to say about this. Really, uh, you really should probably go if you care about some of this stuff deeply. Go watch the State of the Union. I do have it linked in the show notes. But uh, <clears throat> excuse me, damn if uh, damn if uh, Xcode nine and Swift four didn't get some good attention. I'm going to yeah. talk about let's talk about those here in a second. Um, but one thing I I guess I just quickly want to mention before we get into Xcode because I I really debated bringing this up on the show, but um, do it. Search your feelings. I feel like I feel like they are turning iOS into a mild grade pro workstation on the iPad Pro. 
Uh, I, I was impressed. And I, so the reason why I say that is I, I looked into how they implemented drag and drop. And I know that sounds so stupid. But um, I looked into it a little bit in the developer uh, documentation. And uh, damn if I'm not impressed. So first of all, mm-hmm. it works automatically for text and web content. So if you have like a web field in your app or text field, you already support this. The apps are not aware of the contents until you've released it and dropped it into the app. It's so, so you don't. There's no like information leaking. Right. It's a, it's an update system. Yeah. Standard API for implementing non-standard drag and drop behaviors too. So it's easy for developers to customize that. Uh, it generates a nice looking preview, like the way it looks, like and you can, the way you can grab multiple items works and looks very smooth. It can it can work with any type of uh, data. It'll do custom badges for drag content. You can do multi-touch dragging. It can it has. Uh, uh, it can you can do you can bring it up in the uh, to the uh, overview mode and move the content around um, and collection view and table views come with built-in support for using UI collection view drag delete and drag drop so it's it's like if you've been just following the trends and how to build your apps in iOS for the last well since iOS seven um, you are almost ready to go with this out of the box and it is it that combined with them adding a quasi file manager and real nice actual improvements to multitasking and the way you interact with the, that new doc system um yeah man it really makes me wonder if maybe if the route for me in the future isn't going to be super powerful desktop for video editing and then an iPad pro on the road and i and i i would have mocked somebody that would have said that before wwdc well, what's interesting to me is is uh, and you, and you kind of brought it up tangentially how if you've just done things the way Apple wanted you to do in iOS 10, you're basically getting mm-hmm. I would say at least half of this for free. Yep. Yep. Um, although if you haven't, <laughs> if you've gotten on native, then you're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that that's interesting. I mean. The, it all kind of ties together, right? Because this is on that. Now we have to talk about, you know, the Xcode tooling. I think so. Which I, yeah. 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 So you've got uh, – it's rewritten the, – the source editor is rewritten in Swift from scratch. Thank Buddha. It's got a built-in markdown editor now. Uh, there's a lot of cool things about it. Like it, it supports some pretty sweet cold, code folding and things like, like that. Like we can actually refactor Swift now? Yes. Yep. And also yeah. Xcode's going to allow you to load uh, Swift 3.2 projects and Swift 4 yes. projects. So you don't have to like do a big upgrade just to use the new version of Xcode or the new OS, which means they're probably going to increase their upgrade adoption rate, which is pretty smart. But the thing that seemed to me to be a bigger one, other than just actual kind of nice improvements to the UI too, is uh, built-in support for GitHub. Tight integration, eh, as you put it. Who cares about that? I mean, if you're really? a serious Git user, yeah. If you're a serious Git user, you're probably using it on the command line. I don't know. You get the commit history built right into there, into Xcode. So get, get log. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of nice. I'm full of curmudgeon today, though. So one thing I am curious about, though, and I and I was looking into the docs, and I'm trying to understand. You know, the, the most difficult part about Xcode was always working with large storyboard files, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I have some reason to think that that's been improved. Mm. But I'm curious to see, you know, what all of this kind of like multitasking, resizing, yep. um, drag and drop stuff. How complicated is the you know, basically XML, right, that that generates, that the storyboards generate, going to be now. You'd have to try it and tell me. Because the the, the classic nightmare scenario is you're working with another developer on an iOS project. You both aren't communicating well because, you know, you're not. And then you have a merge conflict in the storyboard file. (laughs) 
I mean, obviously using one big story for a profile for your app is an anti-pattern. You shouldn't do it, but people do what they do, right? So yeah. that, yeah. like, if, if I, I would have almost traded the upgraded editor yeah. for some more elegant way to deal with storyboards. Yeah. Testing got some improvements, like the yeah, simulator. Yeah, Wi-Fi build. Yeah, Wi-Fi build is really cool. Uh, Microsoft introduced that, right, with Samarian Live recently. and uh, Yeah, they borrowed it from Visual Studio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and now, nice. and now Xcode gets it, which means you can work – I mean, it's going to make it a lot easier working with like tvOS devices for sure and multiple iOS devices. Uh, the simulator, finally resizable, which is funny. They've added like controls too to the simulator for like the physical buttons. You can run multiple you – know, you can run multiple devices and build the multiple think, destinations. Which is actually huge. Yeah. That's huge, yeah. running multiple at once and mm-hmm. being able to be like, okay, did I screw up my layout here? Yeah. Um, I got to be honest. I, I – there are a ton of little changes in the tooling, by the way, for, for folks who are kind of trying to follow along. I, I sort of wonder, though, if we're not – and this is cra- – can I do a crazy prediction? Mm. If we're not going to eventually see a major change in that XML format for the storyboards and for the nib files. Sure. Because we're, we're getting to a level of complexity that – you know, the, the case for those of you who are iOS developers, the case that I'm talking about, the Git merge conflict – it is is actually a nightmare, right? I mean, it, it can really, really be significantly bad. Um, and I, you know, like let me not not to make Microsoft happy because they they get very excited when I mention Visual Studio Code, <laughs> but and now I'm going to mention XAML, so it's like really watch, out, watch I, it, everybody. Watch I it. know, like in a format like XAML, this problem basically doesn't exist because it's a lot more human readable, right? Um, you know, even, even props to Google, the Android lay- layout files are, are easier to understand. Although I think of the three options, XAML is, is significantly better. I, I, I sort of don't understand why this is stuck. I mean, I, under, I understand like legacy and all that. And I love, I actually like nibs, but I don't like to use the storyboards because of this very issue. But maybe... You know, as Swift supplants Objective C, and as we go from more of a from kind of the OO style of development to this kind of protocol style, maybe we should think about something more akin to what Microsoft is doing. Um, you know, Microsoft has their MVVM, their data binding, some of that little like ease mm. of use thing. Because once you learn it, and I've been playing with it some uh, because I'm uh, shortly going to be doing some Xamarin work, it it actually makes a ton of sense. And, and you know what? Text will always be ed- faster, at least for me, and I would be willing to bet more more developers than just me who are listening to this. I will always be faster and more efficient in a text-based layout file than in a, uh, a GUI designer. Does that, is that fair? Is that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that seems sane? Mm-hmm. And I would love feedback on that. Like, do you feel that I'm, you know, one, am I right? Two, or am I wrong? Do you feel that the GUI designer is more... Um, efficient for you right i mean I'm, I'm thinking about things like constraints like you know it's with a uh, layout constraints it, sometimes it is just easier to write the constraints in the uh the constraint language right in your swift file or your opc file right so i i would love to see some sort of innovation there that's probably a multi-year project um because I, I can only imagine and then they would have to have backwards compatibility so that's it's challenging too yeah it feels like they'd probably start hinting that they're working on that like a year before they made any major announcement. Well, and, I, and now that the more I think about it, that might be like a major like carbon cocoa kind of break, right? Mm-hmm. Like that might 
I don't know how that would work. I think that would end up being some, that would be a more significant break in the tool chain than just, uh, than probably even Swift was, to be honest with you. DigitalOcean, go over to digitalocean.com, sign up and create an account. Then use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, apply that, and you get a $10 credit. DigitalOcean is a quick and easy way to spin up droplets in seconds. They have an amazing infrastructure, all SSDs, 40 gigabit e-connections into their hypervisors, and data centers all over the world, including New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, and Germany. And they've made sure to place them in very strategically fast, high-density high connection areas, so that way you can distribute to folks in the entire area. They have a very nice dashboard that makes it very simple for beginners and gives power users a lot of flexibility. The API is intuitive and easy and well-documented to use. They have highly available storage. You start with the amount of storage on your droplet, and then you can add block storage. It just shows up as a block device, which is nice because your operating system of choice can address that however you like using Linux or FreeBSD. You have Teams, so teams can work together. Monitoring and alerting where you can collect metrics, monitor your performance, receive alerts to optimize your applications at no additional cost, and it's built right in. (laughs) Just amazing. And they have a bunch of pre-built open-source applications ready to deploy and go. And one of their new features, cloud freaking firewalls. Now, why is that cool? Why is cloud freaking firewalls cool? Because you have a central location where you'll be able to define rules and then apply them to all of your droplets, and they enforce those rules at the DigitalOcean network layer so unauthorized traffic never even reaches your droplet, never consumes any resources. (laughs) This just – I mean, why wouldn't you do it that way? Why wouldn't you? It's brilliant. And so is that dashboard. Just go sign up, create an account, and use our promo code, CODERDIGITAL. It's DigitalOcean.com. A big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, and thanks to you guys for using the promo code CODERDIGITAL when you create your account to get the $10 credit and support the show. So you know what I think might be the biggest news out of WWDC? Um, Tim Cook's new haircut. Did he have a new haircut? I didn't even notice. No Eddie Q? Hashtag where's... No dancing! Everybody gives Eddie a hard time. You know what? I love seeing him go out there with the unbuttoned shirt and... You know what? I like Eddie because you could tell he's a nervous guy. I, I feel, or yeah. maybe you can't. Well, but no, I that's feel how like, he responds to it. Like that's his way of coping. Right. Yeah, I, I like, know. I, I agree. Like, can you imagine me giving a keynote? Oh God, it'd you know, be good. Or somebody dude. from the Wall Street Washington Post rather wrote a snarky thing that I'm struggling to do AI because I don't do enough data collection. I would stop the presentation and just start yelling. At them, yeah, right. Like that would, yeah. that would be exactly what would happen. I um. So I watched the uh, keynote with Hadia. She's never watched one of these before, so she oh wa- she sat down with totally virgin eyes to watch this thing. And every time Craig came out on stage, she cringed. And I I like Craig because I've wa- I know. I've watched the evolution of uh, Craig over the years, and I, you know, the, be sloppy. the yeah, hair jokes, you know, and they didn't make yep. any hair jokes this year, but, you know, we watched the hair jokes, him, him having fun, him kind of being the most improv, and now, like, everybody loves it when Craig come, comes up on stage, and her comment was, everybody loves it when Craig comes on stage, and he knows it, and he milks it, and she, it creeped her Ooh. out every time, yeah. Wow. I know. So, this is what happens. Damn, poor Craig, he's been working at this for... I know, he's getting good, too. 
so Apple has really entered into AR. Like they, they they touch on it in the keynote with and they talk about AR kit. But when you watch the State of the Union, they dedicate the last majority of the State of the Union to AR and VR in a yeah. very very big way. I and, am super excited about this. Holy shit! So I watched some of the State of the Union demos. It is. It's way cooler than what they demonstrated up on stage. Yep. Like this is a really freaking usable kit ready to go and it does serious legitimate object recognition, depth recognition. Yep. It's um it is it is computating the lighting of the environment in real time for the I mean all this being done for the developers and handed to them. It's amazing. This is the only case where they actually sold their demo short. Yeah, they really did. That I've ever seen in years of watching them. Yeah. But I'm also terrified. Oh, really? How many things that end in kit have they shown an awesome demo? Yeah. Had great dev docs. Yeah. A great like spend your weekend and do a quick, you know, try this out thing. Yeah. And then simply abandon six months later. The majority. The majority. Yeah. The majority. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about home kit. I mean, there, oh. there's some stuff, right? But the, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know what though? Here's the difference is there is a vice president behind ARKit. There is a VP okay. at Apple who is in charge of augmented and virtual reality at Apple. And he came up on stage and gave the big pitch about how this is – but now as they, as soon as they roll this out, they'll be the biggest AR platform. Like he's the guy that came out and gave that big pitch for the State of the Union. But they've actually assigned like – they've done hiring. They've like brought in like professors and, with people with doctorates. Like they're really staffing out the team behind – Are you saying they hired nerds? Is that – Yes. Whereas things like other kits are like, well, we'll just have these people that are building these things already internally. We'll have them kind of put, come together, work cross team and create this thing. And then you get things like HomeKit. Whereas ARKit seems to be like an actual department within Apple that has people that are actually higher up in the company behind it. And, you know, I, I think it reflects in the quality. Like I saw the demo and I was like, oh, neat. They did like the on the table thing and they did the coffee cup thing. And I'm like, OK, great. What they don't really tell you is there are so many ways this is going to be useful for the end user that the I think the amount of I can't I don't think we can even conceptualize the amount of apps are going to be created. So they're using AR to do things like object recognition in the real world. So they're not even placing things in the world. They're just using it to say the iPhone's looking at a table. It recognizes that's a piece of paper. It can capture that specific thing and bring it into the notes application. But that ability to recognize objects extends much further than I realized. Like so they did demos in the State of the Union where somebody came up on stage and just held up objects and in real time the iPhone was just start recognizing the objects of what they were and create corresponding emojis and give them like thought bubbles with the with the emoji for the type of object they were holding like that's going to be pretty useful so hot dog not hot dog yeah <laughs> yeah so i will see it could be you know maybe they're just showing it in the best light possible i'm sure well i'm sure that's the case well <laughs> you know i i am legitimately excited about this because now i can do things that i probably wasn't capable of doing before for both you know i don't know anything about it and resource reasons whether this is like a vertical that makes sense for a lot of developers i don't know this feels like one of those tricky technologies and i actually think microsoft tends to be guilty of this where the demo is really cool to mm -hmm. do something trivial looks at bot framework and winks but once you get anywhere beyond that demo it's a really complex place something that's starting to jump out at me is this i feel like in particular is laying the groundwork for the next iphone and i think i would oh, yeah. i would be at this point willing to bet that all of the iphones will have dual camera assemblies across the line because so much of this stuff requires <laughs> depth they sensing they, well, they, the ar stuff really works a lot better on the plus because it has two cameras and it can do depth sensing and so they, they've got Tim, 
likes his margins. That's true. That's true. But if they really want to push this, I think they're going to have to go dual camera across the line. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, I bet you this will be a huge, I bet you, I bet you the next shoe for AR drops with the next iPhone. Well, so this is where, this is where I think your argument about Apple introducing the technology will actually make opportunities for developers because they're Apple. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and this is going to be a rising tide lifts all boats. So if you, here's what happens. If you create, just to, just to finish my thought, if you create the next decent even AR app and you launch it around the time the next iPhone comes out, they're going to feature your ass. They're going to put well, you up on the app store because you're supporting the hardware. Hello. Hi there. Thank you. Uh, Jim is uh, breaking into my car. <laughs> that person just liked my point. Well, I really think, you know, while that, hon- while that horn's going up, I really think that's that's the market opportunity. It's not because Apple has magic pixie dust and they fart unicorns. I'm not trying to just blow a bunch of smoke about Apple. The reality is they are they have an app store that when people buy new hardware, they go to to make their shiny new slab of glass useful. And if you sell something that makes that new shiny slab that has its new feature that only that new shiny slab has more useful, it is in Apple's best interest to feature those apps because it makes the phone more valuable. It's the cycle of why developers make money on the App Store. And I'm going to really simplify it even further. CEOs or executives who have money and can authorize projects tend to carry iPhones. In a lot of cases, technology doesn't exist unless they, they like are aware of it, right? So, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if we have a, like, even like a line of business things where like, I don't know, I can imagine some weird inventory management stuff where you start taking advantage of this. And, you know, it may have been possible to slap an Oculus Rift or or like a hollow, rather a hollow lens on somebody and have them do it. But no one, one, no one's buying a hollow lens to, you know. Now they know about it, right? Now it's the Washington Post is writing about it. Well, you are, maybe right. you already have, maybe you already have iPhones or iPads that you know staffs carrying around. So now this is something right. built golden in. Golden MacBooks, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, so this kind of the these two topics, I think, go together. Apple also completely redesigned the App Store, uh, which I have a bad feeling about because it's way less. Yeah. Apps. So this is so bad. Yeah, because you see, it's the people that are on the top will be on the list, and everybody else is just completely falling off the map now. So this makes huge, their terrible search a hundred times worse, right? It's this huge full screen card interface. So you open up the app store, and one app fills the entire screen, and then you can see just the bottom of another, the top of the next image to tell you to scroll. And there's other screens, but it's essentially no more than one or two apps on the screen at a time. And they're the most well-produced, featured with videos and lots of screenshots and good ratings and probably friends with the App Store people. I mean, like, it's 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 how is somebody like you ever going to get their app on the, it's featured in this thing? How are you going to do it? How would, like if I I'd wanted to make you, a Jupiter Broadcasting app? How the hell could would I have any shot of anybody ever finding it? Uh, you're not. So I mean, this is already the reality we live in now, though, right? The the odds of like serendipitous people going through the App Store and you know just like finding your app and looking at the pictures and downloading it are, are literally less than zero. So it's going to be a direct marketing campaign, just like for like a web app, right? Where you want to funnel them into the app store and then get them to download. Hmm. Yep. Oh, also they removed the top grossing section, which I think is just like, we know there's this problem where very few people make all the money. So we're not going to show you that anymore. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that anymore. What do you think about the idea that they're also showing just right there in the App Store 
when you look at the app in the listing, if it has in-app purchases, they're just listing them right there on the listing. Just boom, right there. Here's all. Here's the. It could be a free app, but here's so all. Is that a real problem? Like, is it? Is, people keep talking about the in-app purchase thing. That is like not a problem for uh, me. to me. It's app. It's it's Apple's full endorsement of it. This is Apple saying we're all in on the give your apps away for free and then make it up on the in-app purchases. Is this is what app? I think is Apple is telling the the market now. Okay, but why do they have to be like in the search? That's that's what I understand. Well, it's, it's like in the listing of. So once you well, go in, you tap the, into the, the app, app right. and uh, so it, it'll say free, and you know it says get, and then below that, it's all of the available in-app purchases are listed. You could buy them right then and there, but it's also in another way. It's like telling the consumer, "Hey, by the way, this is a free app, but you, it's got these things for sale inside." Yeah, I mean, this feels like one of those weird things that EU might make you do, right? Because somehow people think it's deceptive. I, I don't. I don't really think it matters one way or the other. I actually, I, mean, I see. That's where I disagree, and we don't need to talk about it a whole bunch. But yeah. uh, where I, where I think it does matter is, I think it is, um, <clears throat> it is Apple essentially saying, "This is how you make money on the App Store now." But not only do, not only do you use in-app purchases, but uh, we're going to go ahead and make it more convenient for people to make to buy them right away. I'll tell you what, like if I if I was getting an app, like say. Uh, where is here? There's a. I'm going to give a recommendation for the best to do application I've ever used on any pl- computing platform ever. It's just called Things, and uh, I'll tell you what. Right now, if Things was free, which it is not, um, and I was in the App Store and I was going to buy the next version of Things, which I absolutely will buy, and they had an in-app purchase list, I would tap it before the download is even finished on my phone. I would I would tap it right there and buy the in-app purchase because I know this developer, I know it's a great app, and uh, I know I'm going to do that. Same with Overcast. Like if uh, you know, like when I if I was getting Overcast for the first time from Marco Armit. I would absolutely just tap that uh, in-app purchase right there in the listing. Okay, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, right? I, I just like I would just buy it in the app. And, yeah, yeah. Like I, I also used Overcast, right? And or and but, you I know, whenever you remove it. friction, so it's like now you don't have to worry about them forgetting if they're going to do it anyways. It's right there. It's just one more click. You put your thumb down on the Touch ID, and it's done. I don't know. But I also think in some way it's a te- it's a tepid sort of backhand. It scares me a little though, right? Because like I, I'm I'm looking into some of these more pro enabling features on iPad Pro, right, with iOS 11. And the idea would be I would give you the app for free, of course, because I don't think anyone's saying you're going to sell an app for twenty dollars, right, or even a dollar, right? Like I agree with you on that. But like let's say it you know it is a real pro application that I've been developing for three years and have to restart. Um, and maybe I want the upgrade to be, I don't know, like 20 bucks, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really don't want something on the App Store page that says $20. Yeah. I feel like that's going to deter people from yeah. even downloading the free. You want them to get hooked. Well, not even hooked. Like I want them to be in the app so then I can market to them and say, hey, it's Kwanzaa or Christmas or Hanukkah. Mm. Um, 50% off well, today. you can still once you, do that. You can still do that. But not if no, how can I do that? I can't like send them a notification. I can't ask them to sign up for an account with their email address mm-hmm. until they've downloaded the app. Right. Yeah. Once. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying for, that's my for, point. For, right? I'm, yes. I don't. I don't want that twenty number to scare them away. Yeah. Yeah. I. I also think that's another interesting impact of it. So I do think. I it, mean, it, yeah. If the app App Store ecosystem has taught us anything, it's that a lot of people want something for nothing. I think right? this App Store change is the hugest story for developers uh, that. What? Not 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 in like the terms of like all the things announced, but in terms of like the. the 
the hugest thing announced that they're going to have like no idea what the ramifications are until after it's just been in the market for for a few months. Like oh, I, I think we I think we know people are going to make less money, but that's well, the trend. Yeah, anyway. I mean, we I think we I think that's what we suspect. But maybe who knows? But like it's this huge thing that's been announced. It's going to impact sales of tons of developers, and yeah, well, there's just really no that? way to know. It's like I think in terms of like the biggest curveball that was announced, it's this. It's the App Store. Listen, we are faced with two doors. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the, All right. the bell is out of commission. Come on. My bell is stuck. It's Your broken. Your bell is broken. Yeah, it crashed, I think. I think I got a crashed bell. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, oh, also this Apple problem. Did, Apple became a bank. Yeah. Sorry, just coming from the chat room. They did, they, Apple also became yeah, a bank. Yeah, so Apple's Venmo. Yeah. Or Stripe Pay or whatever. So anyways, this seems like a problem we won't really know the impact of until it's, like I say, until it's been in the market for a while. Until someone on Hacker News says, Apple bankrupted my startup. Yeah, and then we'll start talking about it again. Yeah, then, we'll, then we'll be in good shape. So does this inspire you, Chris? I know you're you know, a noted Apple fanboy. <laughs> um, I want to know I'm broadcasting today from my System76, uh, Raytel. Noted, huh? Noted. And, the, and by the way, we are talking on a Unity 7 Ubuntu machine right now. Unity 7? Uh, you know what? I'm Sometimes on, I like it. I just can't help myself. I'm on GNOME 3 and I'm bitter about it. Oh, really? How come? What's wrong with GNOME 3? You know what? There's something I liked about Unity. It was very orange. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, but you know, I may be switching. I mean, let's be honest. This new iMac Pro is is really a beast of a machine. Sorry. Oh, wow. I mean, like, uh, holy crap. So uh, the Z- yeah. I, I knew this was going to happen. I knew they were going to do this, though. But, it, I mean, it, it did happen. 18-core Xeon, 128 gigabytes of ECC RAM, 4 terabytes of their crazy-ass fast storage. Um Two different Thunderbolt uh, PCI buses, which is huge. The the and all of this is not touching on the most important thing, which is that screen. They still have a best in industry screen on that iMac. The, you yeah, buy you, yeah. if you buy a screen even even close to nice as that, it's twelve hundred dollars. And they're going to start the thing at five thousand dollars. Now I know that sounds expensive, actually but not. I, I broke it. Yeah, yeah, I I did too, and it's actually not that. Especially especially when you're considering the Xeon parts and ECC RAM. The the screen is effectively free ish. Yep. Yeah, and that is a huge deal because it's it's a great screen and it's something. That, I'm just thinking about all the Docker containers I could be running simultaneously on that thing. <laughs> I'm thinking about how this thing this thing would it would smash Final Cut. I don't I don't think I'm in a position to buy one um, when they come out in December. But it would be – it's one of those machines that I think would, would change my life a little bit in terms of how much content I could produce just because I, the, I still wait around for 4K video to crunch and crunch and crunch. And then I wait around for it to export and then I wait around for it to encode and my machine is totally unusable while all these things happen. So it's like a double whammy productivity hit. This would just – I mean it would just eviscerate the, the workloads that I have. It would just be amazing to see this thing in action. Um, it and is, it comes in black. Yeah, space, space gray. Yeah, it makes you almost wonder um, what the hell is going to be in the Mac Pro if this is the iMac. <laughs> what's the where? where I guess the, what's the, the Mac Pro is maybe dual graphics. So, so can can Mike say something cray cray cray? Yeah, I mean the whole intro to the show is pretty bad. But if this was released uh, a, a year ago, I'd have no Raytel. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is I mean, a year late machine too. Yeah, I, I feel like it's late, and I. I don't get me wrong. I still think it's awesome, and if I somehow have five thousand dollars I want to spend, I'll probably get one. But I don't understand what held this up. 
Yeah, it's really a shame. It's like I go back to like maybe in the future where you could see a, a really powerful tablet as your daily driver, desktop, like email, web, on social networking machine, and then right. this is like the sit down and crunch some numbers machine. But this is the like like I so so my current workflow is I'm either working on the MacBook Pro or I'm I'm doing something like you know Devi on that or the uh, the Raytel basically. But a lot of the times, if I'm doing like email or boring salesy stuff or spreadsheet accounting stuff, I'm on my my current iPad Pro, right? The not the big one, the nine inch one. I could see a world where this and an iPad Pro, like if you're an Apple guy, set you for life until yeah. the next one comes out a year yep. later and you spend another. $5, no, I, I actually, I actually think this could be a a seven eight year machine because the screen is not going to be is not going to be outclassed for years. Um, they'll be matched, but not outclassed. And then when you combine the fact that this thing has two Thunderbolt three controllers in it, which means yeah. you can run. Two, you can run an external graphics box and you can also have an external storage array dedicated to this thing and still have enough bandwidth for up to three 4K monitors. It's It really is one of these machines where it seems like it's so damn fast. Two terabytes a second transfer rate on the uh, built-in storage. You have Thunderbolt 3 that allows for on-the-bus expansion. You've got insane amount of RAM and CPU that you can put in this thing. And it turns out they're socketed. Now, Apple says none of the parts are user serviceable, but if you were to break it down, at least uh, with the new 4K iMacs, and it appears to be the same with this when you look at the documentation, the CPU and the RAM are socketed. So you could actually, if you open it up, replace both. And that is true on the new uh, new iMacs that were just updated and released for sale already. Same thing. Uh, and it just turns out, by the way, did not realize this, but in doing research for the show, it turns out KB Lake doesn't offer a soldered-on configuration. Now, people speculate that Apple probably could have directly requested that from Intel, but that's one of the reasons is there isn't a soldered-on configuration for Kaby Lake right now. And so these new iMacs that are built around that platform and this new Pro with the Xeon platform have user-changeable parts if you're willing to open up this damn thing. And by the way, speaking of AR, right, and uh, machine learning, if Apple really wants to sell developer workstations in this space – this is the kind of thing they have to sell. Yeah, not 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 slapping a graphics card in a box to a MacBook right. Pro. Right, I agree. I agree. This is this is the this is the machine that they should be selling, and uh, I think they're going to sell a lot of this. This from the creative industry is pretty much everything you need. I mean, it, it the, I mean, the it's just incredible with that with that speed of storage and, and I just oh man, change it would change it would change the game. It would it would be a life changer. So. Is is this in your your Q one twenty eighteen? You know, I really just don't think I can justify it unless I unless I shift my personal workload more to editing more than it already is, which is I, things do seem to be trending in that direction. Um, but I, I would this is one of those purchases where I'd really have to be able to plug in the numbers and see a direct return on the other side. Um, and so for that, it would probably be benchmarking and things like that. I have I access like- to potential test hardware early next year that I could get. Okay, so I might give it. Yeah, a shot. I, f- I feel like this is probably a no for me, just because the level of overkill is basically ridiculous, right? I don't know if I agree. I think it's no. Just, well, I mean, our workloads are different, so probably for you, yes, probably for you, yes. But for me, uh, it 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 is it is probably just like for me, really, 
it really need to be one of the higher core ones, one of the higher core spec machines. Like it would really have to be a pretty great, pretty great system. It's it really takes an unbelievable amount of horsepower to work with this stuff. And but yeah, it, it is it is enough. It is enough. Could be more. I think like I'm I'm willing to see dual graphics. Those kinds of things would be really nice because a lot of these GPU jobs are. Uh, I mean, I guess, we'll see. I guess with external graphics, I don't know. But I, I was impressed with I was impressed with their um, their answer for this market. I, I find an all-in-one in Pro to be a bit of um, a non sequitur, but at the same time, if you build the Pro machine, the all-in-one Pro machine, good enough, and you look at the cost of a great screen, it starts to make a little more sense. I mean, this is where Thunderbolt can really have its day, right? Outside of gradeability, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it matters. Yeah, I mean, that is a you know, it sounds dumb when we keep going on about the screen, but you really do stare at the screen all day. So having a good screen is pretty right, and in, in some workloads, when you're working on uh, high DPI devices, it's it is you really are not getting a one to one comparison in the simulator if you're not running it on a high DPI screen as well. So there's a lot of iOS developers that are having to do iOS development for Retina screens, and they're looking at they're looking at it on tiny little yes. laptop screens. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that is such a pain in the ass. Yeah, and so yeah. this five the reason why five K is great is because you get four K really for the picture, and then you get the extra space for all the Chrome of your applications. Right. And every, that's why five K is such a great sweet spot for the resolution. And then, of course, from my personal standpoint, the video editing workload, if you're working on 4K footage and you're not looking at it on a 4K screen, then what the hell are you doing? You're, you're, you're wasting your time. And, and so, again, 5K is the perfect resolution to edit 4K res, uh, re, 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 resolution video because you have room for the, for the Chrome there too. So it, it, is, it is – I know how it's – if you don't have a workload that requires it, it's kind of easy to write it off. But uh, when you do have a workload that needs that kind of screen resolution, it's one of the best options out there. Well, I mean, one of the advantages if this machine is overkill for you would be, I mean, I, I don't know if this argument really holds water. and We should probably wrap up. Like, even the 5K, the the, the base configuration is going to last you for a long time, mm-hmm. right? I am looking forward to trying out Dell's all-in-one. Have you seen this? I have. Go yeah, on. It, well, they also have a Xeon all-in-one workstation. And uh, it's a, it's also a high-resolution screen. And uh, it also has ECC memory, and it also has super fast storage and nice graphics, and it also has incredibly good speakers. Um, because I've personally heard them, so I can I can say my in my personal opinion they have very good speakers. It's essentially a six speaker soundbar with a subwoofer uh, built into the front of this of this Dell uh, all in one. And uh, so they are shipping me. I believe I don't think it's the XPS line. I think they're shipping me their professional line to do a review of, which the timing's pretty good since this iMac Pro was just announced because that's, I believe, a lower-cost system and runs Linux out of the box. What about Surface Studio? Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's too much of a laptop. You know, the Surface Studio is a very nice-designed machine. I'll give Microsoft credit for that, but that little tiny box is really just a little laptop. You know, I want, I want a workstation because I, I, I genuinely notice the difference between laptop components and desktop and workstation components. I once melted a MacBook Air, so yeah, I did too. I well, not a Mac, a MacBook Pro, actually. 
<laughs> that's even worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did yeah. they did they did replace it, but okay. So now it's all out. We got it all out there. That's essentially our WWDC edition that's of the it. show. I think next week it's back to deep nerdy coding stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well there you go. All right, Mr. Dominic, where would you like to send people throughout the week? Uh if you have comments on the political commentary, tweet at Nunez, and that is Chase Nunez, not the guy from <laughs> Congress. Anything else? Buccaneer.io, you want to... Oh, by the way, I'm running a 15% off promotion this week, which oh. is Thursday, in honor of the iMac 5K, right, whatever sure. we're calling it. Of course, of course. Uh, follow me at Chris LES, the network at Jupiter Signal, our subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com, and feedback can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. We're doing the show on Thursdays now. Get it converted to your local time at yep. jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Yep. All right, everybody. Thank you for turning this week's episode right. of Coder Radio, and we'll see you right back here next week. Next week.